Wonderful this morning, praise the Lord. I've heard the old saying many times that if that didn't stir you up, your wood's wet. But um, I'm thinking maybe I ought to change that after that. I think you ought to check up and see if you've got any wood, if you didn't get rejoicing over that and uh, the moving of God. What a wonderful opportunity to be here. I remember some years ago, one of our conferences, or Rock of Ages conferences, we had a pastor that had come in uh, from one of the Midwestern states. And he had never been anything like what we're experiencing this morning like that in his life. In fact, I believe he kind of looked at me a little bit like maybe we're a little bit on the Pentecostal side. And um, so he was sitting on the front, and um, everybody was shouting and rejoicing in the Lord. And all of a sudden, I seen him do one of these numbers and put his hand down. It lasted just a few seconds. And uh, on the next day, he was holding up about sh uh, shoulder height. But by the end of the third day, he was standing up with hands lifted up to heaven, shouting with the rest of us. Amen. And I thank God for what the Lord's able to do. And these meetings are a blessing and encouragement to me. And I'm grateful that God has laid on the heart of our pastor uh, to have these meetings and what an encouragement it is. And I'm grateful that the men of God that are here, uh, the preaching, the messages have stirred and challenged my own heart. Each and every single message, the Lord provided something that I needed in my own life, and I never take the opportunity to set under the preaching of the Word of God for granted. If you have your Bible this morning, I'll not be too long. I'll make as much room as possible for the other preachers that are to follow. But I do want to ask you if you would to turn your Bible to the Old Testament, and we'll go to the book of Exodus in chapter number 30. <clears throat> the book of Exodus in chapter number 30. As we consider this text this morning, I'm kind of reminded of what we were encouraged from the Bible last night about God taking the trash heap and making something out of it. And I'm glad that he is able to save, as the old preacher said, from the uttermost unto the guttermost. And certainly I fit in that category. My life was in shambles as a young man, as a teenager. And yet God in his marvelous grace and mercy saved us, called us, put us into the ministry, and I'm enjoying the ride. I love what the Lord's called us to do. We're in a meeting about a year ago, and one of our missionary's wives, the Spirit of God began to move, and men began to give testimonies, and our missionary wives, and about three, three and a half hours into the service, God was still moving. And one of our missionary wives stood up, and she began to weep, and she said, I love the life I live. What a tremendous thought. I love the life I live. And so maybe we should consider that question this morning. Do we love the life we live? If you have your Bible this morning, let's stand for a moment, if you're able to stand, in reverence to the reading of the Scriptures and the Bible. Notice, if you would please, in verse number 25, <clears throat> And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away that I may go into mine own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served thee and let me go. For thou knowest my service which I have done thee. And Laban said unto him, I pray thee, if I have found favor in thine eyes, tarry. For I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. Our fathers, we bow before you this morning. I thank you for what we've experienced this morning, for the great songs of Zion, and Lord, for the presence and the power and the moving of the Holy Spirit of God. And I thank you for every man of God, from 
the youngest to the oldest. And Father, I would ask you that you'll help us to encourage each other along life's journey. And I pray, our Father, you'll help us to keep our eyes upon the finish line. And I pray your blessings upon every preacher that'll stand today and throughout this week. And God, may you breathe upon them, give them that holy unction. And Father, I pray that one that may be sitting here this morning that is a little discouraged, or maybe a lot discouraged, that the Spirit of God would move. God, breathe life into them once again. And I pray, Father, that you may help us, that we'll be a blessing to your people. And pray, adventure, there's one here that's lost and does not know the Lord. I pray the Spirit of God would speak to them. And I pray that you'd show them their lost condition. Help them to realize their need for the Lord Jesus and to be willing to turn in repentance from their sin and in faith toward the Savior. And I'd ask this morning that you'll bless us, help us. I ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. We have in our text that is before us this morning, Jacob that is getting ready to leave under the hand of Laban. If we go back in the life of Jacob and will not summarize his entire life, I think most of us would be more than aware of what took place leading up to this passage of Scripture. He has stolen the birthright of his brother. He has run away from home. He has deceived his father. He has been challenged and God is working in the life of Jacob. Jacob was one of those men that by name and definition and study of his life was a surplanter. He was one that would be very friendly on the outward appearance, but on the inside appearance, he had a ultra, uh, ultra motiv uh, motivation, an ultimatum to take advantage of anyone that he came across. He would do everything in his power to make decisions to all of his actions in life, that when it was all said and done, that Jacob came out on the upper side. And God had to work in the life of Jacob. He flees for his life and he goes to his uncle Laban and there he falls in love with one of his daughters. And he says, I'll work seven years for, for Rachel. And after seven years, he gets Leah, her sister. He works another seven years. And during the process of all the time leading up to our text, Laban changes his wages 10 times. And Jacob is one that is all about himself. But God had given a promise and made a covenant with Abraham that through him, his seed, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would bless the nation of Israel and that God would have his hand of blessings upon the promised seed. And so now we find that Jacob the supplanter, Jacob the self-motivated man, Jacob the selfish man, Jacob the one that is concerned more about Jacob than he is anyone on the planet earth, God is going to move and make and break Jacob so that he can make him and mold him into the servant that God desires in his life. And I believe that every man of God, every lady of God, every child of God that's wanting to be used of God must go through a time of brokenness in their life. 
And I also believe that in ministry, I believe there is a time of preparation. I am for education. I'm for biblical training. I'm for college and Bible study. But I want to tell you the greatest school, the greatest school is under the school in the hand of our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. I often tell our missionaries that there is no school that you can go to. There's no conference you can go to. There's no classes that you can go to that will prep you for missions and ministry like the school that God has in store for you. I'm always amazed that men that have never pastored seems to have all the answers for pastors. Men who have never been a missionary have all the answers for missionaries. And men who have never done evangelism have all the answers for evangelists. As we consider the text, God's going to work in the life of Jacob. And he is preparing him for what he has in store for him. And so there is a preparation. God is putting him through his divine school, if you please. And all of us must go through God's divine school. And Jacob arrives at Uncle Laban as a needy man. His life is in shambles. His sin is catching up with him. God is in the process of breaking him. And God has used Laban as part of his chastening tool in God's hand to break him and bring Jacob to where he needs to be. But now, according to our text, the coin has flipped to the other side. In the beginning, Jacob needed Laban. But notice in our text now, Laban wants Jacob. For the Bible says in our text, and Laban said unto him, I pray thee, if I found favor in thine eyes, is this the same Laban that deceived Jacob? Is this the same Laban that changed his wages 10 times? Is this the same wages or the same Laban that God used in the life of Jacob to break him and remake him and mold him? Is this the same Laban that says to Jacob, Jacob, now I need you. And he says this. He said, if I have found favor in thine eyes, he said, for I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. What a statement. To come from Laban to Jacob. Now I want to draw our attention to one phrase this morning. I just want to try to encourage this morning. Seems like that's what the Lord's laid on our heart for this week, yesterday, and this morning. But I want to draw our attention to one phrase that Laban makes. He said, for I have learned by experience. And I want to just preach for just a moment on some things I've learned by experience. There are several things in the Bible that we could look at in Jacob's life specifically, but I want to give you some things, some personal things that I've learned over the years. 
To begin with, I want to uh, tell you this morning that after 45 years of preaching and, or 44 years of preaching and 45 years of being a Christian, I've learned by experience and I, this morning I can truly say that all of God's promises are true. He's never failed one promise. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Kings 8 and verse number 56, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people, Israel, according to all that he promised. Watch this, there hath not failed one word of all his good promises, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. And I'm here to say to you this morning that after all of these years of serving God and being involved in ministry and being a Christian, I've, for 45 years, I've learned by experience every single promise in God's divine book is true and not one of them will ever fail a child of God this morning. Thank God his promises are true. Laban acknowledged that God had blessed him because of Jacob's association and his presence. What kind of promises do we have in the Bible that are true? Well, that's a legitimate question this morning. Let me say to you, if I may, to begin with, that this Bible is the inspired, preserved, inerrant Word of God. And I speak of the King James Bible this morning, the authorized version. The Bible says, and we all are familiar with that text in 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 16, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And what it literally means, and I know we understand that for the majority of us are, are preachers, are missionaries, are evangelists, and set under pastors that have taught us the Word of God, and what it means to have a copy of God's divine book. But what it literally means is God breathed or God inspired. And I'd said this a few years ago, I preached down in a meeting in Alabama, and God had laid on my heart a study on the breath of God. And when you go back and study the scriptures, one thing I found out that anywhere you find the breath of God in the Bible, there's always life. For example, God took a clump of clay and he formed it into a man, but it was nothing more than a clump of clay. And then God did something uh, phenomenal. God did something amazing. God did something wonderful. He took that clump of clay and... <laughs> He breathed into his nostrils and man became a living soul. And then in the book of Ezekiel, there was a valley of dry bones. And all of a sudden, God wanted to raise up an army. And the Bible said that there was a wind. And later he says, the breath had swept through the valley. And all of a sudden, God raised up an army out of dry bones, out of the valley of dry bones. Why? Because the breath of God gave life to those bones. Anywhere there's the breath of God, there's life. And then in the New Testament, a final example, well, maybe not the final one, but in the New Testament, the church gathered together in the upper chamber there. They waited and he said, tear in Jerusalem to be endued with power from on high. And in Acts 1.8, he said, but when that they would receive the power of God, ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. And all of a sudden, the Bible said there was a mighty wind that came down from heaven and shook the foundations and God empowered his church then you hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sins and so we find that God breathes in the 
a heart of a dead soul and a sinner. He breathes life into them when they accept Christ as her personal Savior and the Holy Spirit of God moves in and takes up residence in that life. But you say, preacher, what about the Word of God? I have known many across our years of ministry that were saved by merely reading the Bible. There was no preacher, there was no missionary, there was no pastor, there was no evangelist, there was no soul winner. They just took the Bible, the Word of God, began to read and got under conviction, bowed their knees and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Many of prisoners that we've come in contact with over the years have said, Preacher, I'm not very efficient in reading. When I came to prison, I couldn't read at all. But I learned to read by reading the Bible and looking at the Bible and listening to the preaching of the Word of God. Why is it that the Bible seems to be alive? And it is alive. The Bible speaks of its life. But why is it it is because these words came from the very mouth of God. And God, when he spoke the words, infused them with his breath. And this Bible is alive. The Bible is alive this morning. The Bible is a living book. It has the breath of God infused in every word, every alphabet, every paragraph, and every chapter. The Bible is inspired word of Almighty God this morning. I've learned by experience the Bible is a living book. It's inspired. Somebody says, well, preacher, just how inspired is it? I remember hearing this story, and I've shared it recently in some of the meetings we've been in. I was reading a story of a man with the Bible Society that was in the country of Zambia and Africa. He was passing out New Testaments and trying to give them away, and one man he spoke to was a reprobate. And he said to him, he said, Sir, I will not take your Bible. And if I did take your Bible, I would tear its pages out, roll it up in cigarettes, and smoke it. The man looked at him. He said, well, I appreciate your honesty. He said, but I don't mind giving you a New Testament anyway if you'll do one thing for me. If you'll promise me that before you smoke that page, you'll read its content before you roll it up. He said, I guess I can do that. And it was several years later, he was in another Bible conference and a man, an evangelist, was standing to preach. And he stood and gave his testimony and he said, you know, he said, I was a reprobate and there was a man that was passing out Bibles and he tried to give me one and I told him if I took it, all I'd do is smoke it. And he said to me, he said, I'll tell you what, he said, if you'll read every page before you smoke it, I'll give you one anyway. And the man said, that sounds good to me. And so he said, I, I went through the Bible and he said, I smoked the whole book of Matthew. He said, I smoked the whole book of Mark. He said, I even rolled and smoked the whole book of Luke. He said, and then I came to John. And he said, I started smoking John, but he said, I came to John 3.16 and I couldn't smoke it anymore. Why? He'd got under conviction and God hadn't convicted his heart. Thank God for the power in the written word of God. I've learned by experience that God's book is true. His promise is true. 
I've learned, secondly, that he'll carry my burdens. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5 and verse number 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And I've learned by experience that that verse is true. I've learned that in my deepest, darkest valleys of life that God has always been there. I shared in one of our recent board meetings with our pastors that Paul, he said, none of these things move me. He talked about, I talked about Paul's determination. I found that the word determined comes from, it literally means to the end results. What it means is Paul, he looked out and he didn't look at the circumstances along the journey. He looked at the end of the journey. And you go over here in the New Testament and the Bible says, according to the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God. Now you want the foreknowledge of God? That's it. God's will and God's ultimatum in our life. Nothing to do with salvation. And Paul said in the, or the scripture says in the following verse that David said he always kept the Lord's face before him and the Lord was beside him. And so what it literally means is Paul hadn't made up his mind. He didn't look at the circumstances he faced along the journey. He just looked at the end results and kept his eyes on the Lord. He said, I press with the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He gives us the end results. He gives us the future. He gives us the end of the journey. He just don't give us the details on the journey. And I found that he will carry our burdens. I've learned by experience that God does not forsake us in our darkest hours. In fact, if I may say this this morning, moving on, I've learned by experience that in my darkest hours, in my deepest valleys, is when I've grown the most in my Christian walk and experience with the Lord. Also, I'd say this morning that I've learned by experience that salvation is to everyone, to all. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I don't care where they come from. I don't care if they're rich or poor, if they're educated or uneducated, if they're on the streets or in the house or even the White House. I've learned that God's power to save the sinner and to convert him and bring him and set his feet on a solid rock in the foundation of Christ. I've learned that salvation is to everyone. I remember at the Wyoming State Penitentiary some years ago, I was witnessing to a man and he was a very vile and corrupt man. And he would always make fun of the scriptures and of me as the a missionary chaplain at that institution. And I'd continually witness to him, and I'll give you his first name. His first name was Roger. And one day I got an interview request, a little three by five index card. They call them kites in the prison because they send them through the mail. Then to them, they fly it through the mail. That's their mindset. And uh, so I got a little in, uh, invitation from him to meet with him and to talk to him about the Bible. And he had threatened to kill me before. In fact, he sent me a, a picture, an envelope with a nasty note in it one time and had the picture of a 357 on it pointing straight ahead and uh, young and dumb. I wrote him a letter back. I said, Roger, you forgot to put bullets in the chamber. You could tell there was no bullets in it. 
Not smart. I wouldn't do it today, but I did it then. Thank God that he, his, his promise, he'll take care of us in spite of our idiocy and foolishness. Amen. I said, Roger, you forgot to put bullets in it. I can promise you the next one I got had plenty of ammunition in it. And I thought to myself, I'm not calling this guy out. I mean, I meet up with him on the prison yard. It's bad enough. And I had a good enough rapport with a lot of the maximum security prisoners. I thought if he tries anything here, I'm in good shape because they're going to pounce on him. And the Holy Ghost of God kept saying, call him out, call him out. So I finally gave in. I called the officers. I said, would you bring Roger up? Almost called his last name. I don't want to do that. And I said, bring him up. And they said, you sure you want to see him? Said he despises you. He hates your guts. I said, bring him up. They brought him up and he was in leg irons and shackles. They brought him to my office door and I said to him, they said, we're going to stand outside the door. I said, no, that'll be okay. I said, unshackle him and bring him in. He came in and he sat down and began to weep. And he said, preacher, he said, is everything you've been telling me true about salvation? He, he said, do you mean God would save somebody like me? I said, Roger, I'll promise you God will save somebody like you. The fact that you're under conviction, the fact that you're broken, and the fact that you're asking, the fact that you're seeking, the fact that he's willing to turn from his sin in faith and repentance. I said to him, Roger, I'll promise you if you'll call out upon the Lord, he'll save you. He said, tell me again, preacher. I went through the plan of salvation with them. And you know, there's more. And I'm not against the Romans road. God forbid, don't misunderstand me. But there's more than just the Romans road. There's the John road, the Isaiah road. And then there's the Holy Ghost road that the Lord leads you in the scriptures as you witness to somebody. And so as you begin to talk to him, his heart began to break and melt. And he bowed his head and tears were running down his cheeks like a river. He said, preacher, if you think God will hear me and save me, I'm ready to pray. I bowed my head and prayed and asked God to hear the prayer of him. And he bowed and he prayed. They prayed one of the longest prayers of anybody I've ever uh, led to the Lord. In fact, he asked God to forgive him for stuff. Uh, and I didn't tell him he had to ask God to forgive him every single sin. But he did. And he asked God to forgive him for stuff I'd never even heard of. I never even thought it was possible for man, the corrupt mind of man, as corrupt and vile as it is, I never even thought it was possible for anyone to do some of the things he had done. Yeah. Now I can't even speak of them here this morning. He prayed and he said, God, save me. Yeah. When we got done, he looked up, tears streaming down his face, his eyes are bloodshot. He's got, would you pardon me for a minute? He had what we call, when I was a young preacher boy, a shirt sleeve revival. I mean, his sinuses had broken loose. They were hanging down about a foot. Pardon me, ladies. And he was praying, oh God! And it was swinging. And I was watching, and I was back and forth with him. And when he got done praying, he went like this right here and he's wiping his cheeks. He said, glory to God, preacher, it's good to be saved, saved by the marvelous grace of God. And he said these words, he said, preacher, he said, you didn't know it when I came in here. He said, but I was just saved out of not 10 years, not five years, but he said out of 10 generations of witchcraft. He said, to this day, my mother's the high priestess for the state of Wyoming. I've learned that God can save the hardest of sinners. Yeah, 
Then secondly, I've learned that God's promises never fail. In Philippians 4, verse 13, and of course we're familiar with verse number 19, he says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I've learned by experience that every promise of God is true. And I've learned by experience that God's promises never fail and his provisions never fail. And I know this is a promise to the church, which by the way, the church at Philippi started in a Macedonian prison cell. I've learned that God's provisions never fail. I shared with the church, this was Brother Sutherland, Pastor Sutherland on Sunday. I remember when we first became missionaries, we stepped out with $125 a month support by faith. And I thank God for a wife who's willing to step out by faith and serve the Lord. I'm not implying that it's God's will for every missionary to do it that way. But I know it's God, it was God's will for us to do it that way. We had $125 a month coming in for support. And we went down to Tunnel Hill, Georgia. And walked into the bank. We'd found a Winnebago that was 19 feet from the front tip of the bumper to the rear tip of the bumper. And I walked in. And I said to the loan manager, I said, I'm here to borrow money to purchase a motorhome that I found. It's only $4,500. It wasn't that much, but we didn't have the money for it. And he said, okay, fill out this loan app. And so I did, and he looked at it. Our bills were $450 a month, and we had $125 coming in. He looked at it, he scratched his head. He said, now, Mr. Ellis, he said, um, um, are you serious? He said, I can't present this to the board to consider this, he said, it, it just, it, it won't happen. He said, 125 versus 450, I'll go. He said, it, it, it just, I can't do it. And I said, but sir, I'm a missionary and I really believe the Holy Ghost of God or the Holy Spirit. When I said that, his eyes got like that. As I really believe the Holy Spirit has led me to purchase this particular a motorhome for our family to do deputation ministry. He said, deputy what? I said, deputation ministry. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He said, I'm not going to take it to our board. He said, they'll laugh at me. He said, but the president of the bank, there were three banks in the area between Chatsworth, Dalton, and Tunnel Hill. He said, I'm going to, the president's here today for a little bit, and he's here now, so I'm just going to take the loan out to him personally and let him look at it. And he walked off, and you could tell he was not happy with having to take my loan out to that president. He stayed for a long time. In fact, I started to get up and walk out. I thought, well, I'll just have to go somewhere else. And I told him before he left, I said, sir, if you can't give me the loan, I said, that's fine. But God's led me to this. And I know for a fact, somebody's going to loan me the money. You might as well be the ones. He went back and he stayed for a long time and came back out and I was getting ready to leave. In fact, I was in the process of gathering my stuff to walk out because I figured he was just waiting me out to let me get out of the bank and get rid of me. And about the time I was ready to stand up, he walks out of the back and he's kind of scratching his head like this. And he said, Mr. Ellis, he said, I don't understand it. He said, I went back to the president. He looked at this. He said, you got to be kidding me. There's somebody in here in this bank today that has $125 a month coming in and they have $450 in debt on their monthly bills, just the core without a living expenses. And they're wanting to borrow money to buy a motor home. He said, is that guy crazy? 
Well, he wasn't too far off. I'm glad Mrs. Ellis wasn't there. If she'd have said, yes, he is. He come out and he said, now, what does this guy do again? And he said, he's a missionary. Went through the whole spiel. To make a long story short, he said, the man looked at him. He said, now, what did he say? He said, he believed by faith that God wanted to have this. And by faith, the Lord was going to provide for it. And God's going to take care of it. And he said, the president looked at me. He said, I've never ran across this before in all my years of banking. So I'm curious to find out if God will provide for him. Let him have the loan. And we walked out with that money and God provided. That's the Lord that I serve today. That's Him. I've learned by experience that God's provisions never fail. And He found out that there is a God in heaven that is the great I am and He can provide. His provisions never fail. Preacher, they're trying to starve you out. God never fails. God never fails. It is said that Joseph during the great famine would cast grain into the Nile River and order his servants to do so so that the people down below would know that there's plenty from above where that came from. Could I say to you this morning, my father's rich in houses and lands, and he owns the wealth, and he holds it in the palm of his hand. There's so much this morning. Let me give you one last thing, and then preacher, I'll be done. I've learned God's power and his presence is real. If there's anything I've learned in these years of my Christian life is that God's real. In Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission was given and Jesus said, Go ye therefore. And prior to that, he speaks of him having all authority. Why did he have to remind the disciples that he had all authority? They had seen him walk on the water. They had seen him heal the leper and raise the dead. They had seen Peter walk on the water. Why did he have to remind them that he had all power and authority? Because he's getting ready to demand something of their life, and he just wants to remind them, I have the control, the power, and the ownership to do so. And he says, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. I did a study on New Testament missions and I'm constantly trying to go through the Bible looking at missions. And I knew this, but when you go to Acts chapter number 13 and you have the biblical pattern for New Testament missions for the church at Antioch, now it'll begin in Jerusalem, but missionaries been sent out officially from the church as recorded in the Bible. It's in Acts 13. And I knew it, but it never really stood out off the pages of the scripture like it did in that particular personal study. And the Holy Ghost of God instituted, implemented, missions in the New Testament. They went out under the authority of the church 
But I'm just simply saying to you, just as Paul and Barnabas and Silas and those that traveled with the Apostle Paul experienced the divine presence and power of God upon their life. So I have learned in these years of my Christian experience that God's power and his divine presence is as real today as it's ever been in the history of mankind. And he truly is with us in the valleys. He's with us on the mountaintops. He's with us in our trials and troubles and tribulation. Thank God for the power and the presence of God. I remember some years ago, we were going into one of our conferences. We were having all night prayer meetings through the week and encouraging our missionaries to come and guest, and we would come and pray. I don't know what time it was in the middle of the morning, maybe two o'clock, one o'clock, I don't recall the time. But our oldest granddaughter was with us. Her name is Dixie May. Mrs. Ellis and I walked in, and when we walked into the foyer of the church, about a half a dozen of our missionaries were standing in the foyer. And as we walked in, there was a holy hush, and I don't want to over-sensationalize this thing. But they said, Brother Ellis, go on in. He's still there. I knew exactly what they were talking about. We walked into that auditorium, we found a pew about midways in the center section, Peggy on one side, our granddaughter in the middle, and me on the other. And all I can tell you is, God was in that place. I know he don't dwell in buildings. I understand that. He dwells in the heart. But God was in that place, just like he's been here, just like he was last year when all those souls were saved. God was there. And preacher, I put my arm around our granddaughter and hugged her up. I said, God, I thank you that my granddaughter was able to experience what we're experiencing tonight. This generation needs to know that God's power and his presence is real. Our fathers, we bow before you this morning. Help us. Thank you for the things that you taught us and allowed us to learn by experience. Please help us now this morning. I ask these things in Christ's name. I wonder this morning, sitting on the sound of my voice, to be those that say, Preacher, I needed to be reminded of the things that God's done in my life. I want to experience the faithfulness of God in provisions, the faithfulness of God in His power and His presence. And I thank God for what He's done and what He's doing and what He will do in our lives. You may be working underneath a Laban this morning somewhere in your life experience. It may be with family, it may be with outside the family, but God's working and God's using the labels of your life to prepare you for what he has in store for you. Why don't you this morning, if you would, let's stand to our feet. Why don't we come this morning and just say, God, I thank you for the experience that you've allowed me to learn and live. You young preachers that are here, there's going to be some things you're going to learn by experience, but you've got to keep your heart tender.
You've got to keep your eyes focused. You've got to keep your mind sharp on the things that God set before you. I said yesterday, if we could just encapsulate some of the experience of God's men that are here this week so that we could pass it down and somehow integrate it into the heart of every child of God that's here. But my friend, the truth of the matter is, while we can be taught and we can be given instruction, we all have our own experiences. And Jacob, Laban said to Jacob, Jacob, I want you to stay because I have learned by experience that God's blessed me because of you. And I close with this thought. Who could say this morning, God's blessed me because of you? Give us a verse.